0: And welcome to the Plan a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim.
1: And I'm Hal Roster. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture.
0: The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planning and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits.
1: So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us.
0: This podcast is being recorded on November 13th, 2020. Maria is a fourth generation nurseryman and proud of it. After graduating from Penn State with a BS in horticulture, she ran the family's 1,000 acre wholesale nursery, destination attraction garden center, and new plant research and development division. She took a new path in 2009, partnering with her father to form Upshoot LLC. A boutique horticultural marketing firm focusing on sales, marketing, and licensing of new plant introductions, gardening related products. In 2019, Maria partnered with Spring Meadow Nursery to develop the Proven Winners Color Choice Flowering Trees program. Maria is a freelance writer for both green industry trade journals and consumer gardening magazines. And in 2015, she released her first book with co author Pam Bennett entitled Gardenpedia. An A to Z Guide to Gardening Terms. This ASHS award-winning book is going into its second printing. Additionally, she has spoken nationally and internationally on a variety of garden-related topics. Maria has pushed the glass greenhouse ceiling, becoming the first female president of the Ohio Nursery and Landscape Association and International Ornamental Crab Apple Society. She serves as the vice president of GardenCom, Garden Communicators International, and She is also on the ONLA legislative committee. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Maria. We're so delighted that you could be with us today.
2: Thank you so much. It's um, it's a pleasure to be here, especially amongst other tree people, tree lovers. So yeah, I'm excited. Thank you.
1: For a lot of things, we're we're tree lovers. Uh, inevitably, we all realize that we're also pretty nerdy
2: when it comes to
1: species. <laughs>
2: There is nothing wrong with being a a plant nerd, a tree geek. I like whenever I talk about crab apples, I say I'm a malus maniac and a crabaholic. So those are all good things.
1: And so the inevitable joke is you're a malus maniac without malus. (laughs) I was saying to Eva, you know, I'm an arborist and I'm realizing my world is very narrow you know, and doing the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast with Eva these past few months has really kind of, as they say, opened my world, expanded my universe. There's things beyond chainsaws and chippers and insecticidal sprays and stuff. Can you just tell us a little bit about Proven Winners and and how your world works as it relates to horticulture?
2: Sure. Um, I I would say first, I I feel like I've, I've been very blessed because, you know, when uh, Ava read my bio, I mean, you heard that, um, you know, I've done everything from grow at a wholesale nursery to a retail garden center, you know, to new plant development. And, and, and when dad and I left the family business to form Upshoot, you know, it was like starting all over again and that gave me an opportunity to expand my sphere of influence and and, and and it opened a whole new world of meeting companies and breeders that were not only in the ornamental world of trees and shrubs, but then meeting people, you know, doing, doing other things as well, veggies and flowers. And so that in part, I think, is what, um, uh, what led Spring Meadow to reach out to me to partner with me. Um, you know, there are several companies in the wholesale sector who help bring the Proven Winners programs and plants to market and uh, the company that i deal with had the license for the shrubs and they also had the license for trees but they aren't necessarily tree people you know like you they had that that focus on the shrubs and there's nobody that does it better than them but when it came to the trees they needed someone who already had the contacts with the growers the background who had experience with new plant genetics and, and finding those new genetics, either from breeders or just plantsmen who, who like my dad happened to look, you know, he'd go out in the field and he'd look up and he'd look down and he would go, Oh, you're different, you know, and they just find them. And, uh, so, you know, because of that, I think that's, that's why they, they, uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, would you like to do this? I gotta tell you the day they the day they asked me that was not that's not where I thought the question or the conversation was going and you could have could have pushed me over with a feather. But um it's it's really exciting because I think when when you talk proven winners you know, they have everything, again, from, uh, you know, annuals and then the perennials and the shrubs and, and they're even in the veggies and succulents and all, all the things you a homeowner needs to do to create their yard. And But in my mind, they needed the tree program because to me, that's like your foundation. That's like you you start there, that's your first layer of bricks, and then you build everything else around it so i think it's a natural fit um you know growers consumers were asking for it um in fact, I just got a call today from someone who worked at my family's nursery when I was probably, you know, 12 years old.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: he's with a local garden club, and he asked me if I would come speak. And he was like, I hear you're doing proven winners. I just love them. I, I always buy their stuff. So you can see the enthusiasm is there. People who believe in that brand and know they're gonna have a quality experience are are are, are excited, like I am, to see. See the trees come to market.
1: So on the East Coast or mm-hmm. in other parts of the states, mm-hmm. where would the young couple or or the, the person, you know, they've just bought that first house mm-hmm. and they uh, want to go to a destination and pick that out, where would they find proven money?
2: So, you know, I, I, I have to preface everything and say, you know, this program is young. But one of the things we did do was we chose some genetics that were already either in the market or in various stages uh, coming to market. Um, because, you know, you, you don't want someone to go look for something and, and they can't find it, right? That's not a good thing. So right now, the best way to find it is to go to their local independent garden center. The other places, I'm, I'm proud to say that this coming season, planting season, um, trees will be available through an online source. Uh, their name is Fast growing trees oh
1: yeah and that. so
2: yeah they are the first ones coming on board with with them and uh via you know mail order and then i do have one other source that, that will be a mail order but or, or online um where it would deliver to their local garden center but that's not quite ironed out yet so i can't sure. say who that is but we're upping the amount of growers, and the growers are upping their tree numbers already because it's it's like only we're only a couple years in, and the demand is there. And you know, we know that when it, you know when when consumers start hearing about it, it it's just going to keep going. In fact, we're just now. Um, I was working with the good folks at Proven Winners color choice, giving them some information for the Gardening Simplified catalog that goes mm. out to consumers. And so trees will be in there in this new new volume and it'll be the first time. So it's really, really exciting for me, so.
1: Will fast growing trees be shipping uh, as container also then? Uh, they've been popping up now on Google ads and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm
2: -hmm. yeah, I think it's going to be a mix of either it's either going to be in a container or they don't do like a traditional bare root type of tree. They don't do that. At the very least they have this mixture that they put around the roots, like with burlap. So it's my understanding it'll be one, one of those two ways. Mm -hmm. And that way, um, you know, it, it'll help the person. I think it's just a little more safe, a little more uh, better chance of success for the, the end consumer. You know, I know about bare root. Not everybody does. And, and uh, when you go that route, I think there's a real chance for that tree to, to die out or, you know, uh, get stressed, if not mm-hmm. uh, if too dry. Um, Right, planting. So, so yeah. So that's you know we're we're looking if if they're going to be ordered online, we you know we want them to be potted or some other version to ensure the best success for the for the end user.
1: Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I I mean, what everything you just talked about, Maria, makes me always have a sense of uh, just getting a sense of what the future is looking like in horticulture. You know, just thinking about UPS. Distributing uh, these hybridized bare root trees again; these are hopeful stories, and I think trends online companies that are shipping trees to the residential consumer that you know prior to that may have been pretty limited, and uh, right. there's a real upside to getting that bare root or new generation of bare root via UPS versus lugging a bald and burlap tree home in the back of your Subaru. Right.
2: Exactly,
0: yeah. and the bare root was so popular back in the fifties, sixties, and even into the seventies. When I was at Penn State, also, I had a friend who who was growing roses, and and I said, well, I have you ever tried the bare root?" He goes, "No." Ha- what do you mean, try the bare root? And I said, "Well, have them sent to you, have them sent to you bare root." He was so overjoyed that mm-hmm. uh, he said they were the best roses he ever bought. And they just took off right away for him. So, but they, you know, they come in this sphagnum moss wrapping and and then plastic around that so they don't dry out. And however way you're going to do it, I know now they have hydrogel, which we we use in the city of Philadelphia for trees when they come in bare root. We actually, they're dipped in a hydrogel before they leave the nursery. And then we dip them back in hydrogel as soon as they come off the truck. So that's a really interesting methodology. But I love the fact that you have a whole line of trees that is, is medium sized for smaller gardens, for people in the city who could have that, that whatever kind of delivery service you're going to be using to come to their front doorstep. You know, the old, uh, the old row homes with a, a small garden in the back and they could pop this tree in the ground and feel confident that it's going to grow. Right. And
2: that's really, you know, that is one of the, the trends, I feel at least when it comes to trees over the last decade, let's say. It's small, compact, more upright, um, low maintenance. People don't want to, you know, I mean, people, you say gardening, they think work, you know, and I'm like, come on, you, you know, you, you you have furniture, you have to dust it. There's no different with a tree. You got it. Maybe you got to snip a couple branches or something, but we wanted to make it as low, you know, things that are as low maintenance possible. You want things that are, you know, maybe more drought tolerant, more disease resistant, you know, all. And, and so, really, that's, you know, when you look at proven winners and, and, and everything they're doing, these are all the qualities that we're looking for. Um, you know, we, we will have probably a combination of, both things that are selected natives, you know, we're looking at, at what can we find there. But uh, we'll we'll have some non-natives, but things that are still uh, will attract pollinators and so forth. Yeah, so we're we're mainly focused, you know, on smaller items, uh, things that are flowering. And if they aren't flowering, what type of ornamental value do they have? You know, birch with the you know the peeling bark or whatever. And, and one of my things is, is I still really like to try to help people choose things that, that have more than one season of beauty. That's exactly right. No. And it's, I mean, we're going into winter here. I live in Northeast Ohio. I'm right in the snow belt and it's like, I got I got gray and white out my window all winter long. I need something that's going to give me the red fruit, or you know, that's going to give me some kind of bar, that's going to give me something dog on it. So, and I think there's you know i think there's plenty of opportunities there and in this the same token too i think the other thing that's happened over a longer period of time is you know when we had the emerald dashboard come through you know i think we we identified that we can't have this monoculture of just one kind so you know we're trying to to push all these different varieties that that people have you know, these genus that maybe they haven't heard of before, you know, so you want to give them a little bit of the familiar genus, but then you want to sprinkle in some of these other things that they may want to take a chance on and try.
0: I like the fact, too, that you have some fruiting plants like the service berry and, of course, the crab apples. And, you know, most people don't realize that they can actually take those crab apples and make jam out of them. We used to do that when we were kids, making jam That's out right. of the crab apples. And the apple tree. jelly and uh fabulous fabulous uh, jam and you can't typically buy it in the store and of course service uh, high berry high in vitamin c high in vitamin c service berry same thing you know that that shad blow or uh, saskatoon mm-hmm. as you as you call it i think in ohio and up into canada they call it that uh, a really great plant, which has fabulous berries on it, right?
2: And it's and it does have berries. you just got to be really quick because the birds will get them before yeah. you do otherwise. But yeah, yeah, you know, an amelanchier is it's one of the first things to bloom in the spring. Don't laugh. My dad used to his story for service berry was, that you know back before backhoes and everything if if people passed away in the winter time they got stuffed in hay in the barns and they would have these mass burials and it would be right about the time that the service berry were blooming and so then people would break off branches and they would you know put them uh, lay them on the graves as people got buried but you know that's it's a that's a great example of something that isn't just one one season. It's got the early white flowers. You know, it's got beautiful orange, uh, you know, fall color. Um, we have a particularly small variety that my father selected called Spring Glory. Um, you know, you mentioned crab apples. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier and my dad, I think he's, I don't know, the last count I did, maybe it's, I don't know. 60 crab apples 50 i don't know he crab apples were his thing right that's that was one of the things that he was known for and lollipop is is one that's a dwarf it's genetically dwarf and it's you know it's it's grafted on you graft it on top of you know another stem and it just forms this perfect little ball like you wouldn't have to do anything to it just just let it go. And in its younger years, it is a great one like if you want to do a container and you're going to get, you know, some yellow fall color on it. you'll um, have the white flowers in the spring that are fragrant and then, you know, it's, it has little red fruit. They don't last a long time. You know what when, when it comes to crab apples, I've always found that that there's a misconception that you have these big huge fruit that are just going to make this mess everywhere and that's not true you know a lot of the fruit are really only like the size of like the tip of your pinky they're very small and so again it's one that lends itself to putting it in a pot you know, just envision one in a nice deco pot on either side of your, your door, um, perfect for lighting. You know, you could have your, you know, cut stems of Ilex or birch or evergreens or whatever tucked in the bottom of them, you know, in the pots um, and, and decorate with. So, you know, when we were putting the collection together, we said, let's, let's get a couple different sizes. So we have the lollipop I'd mentioned, um, we have a, a medium one that is just now coming to market, and it's called Sweet Sugar Time. And Sugar Time itself is a well known crab apple, very disease resistant. This is out of that particular tree, and, and so it's, it doesn't get quite as, as big as uh, Sugar Time does. But what's unique about it is it literally has the longest lasting fruit I've ever seen on a crab apple. It is still in like full fruit. It's not bright red anymore. It's more maroon, but it's not shrivelly. And it's hanging on when it's in full flower. I mean, so you get you have to talk about winter interest. And then our full size one is Showtime, which that one has a lot of people know prairie fire, and that's been around forever. But you know, plants are like people. With age, they tend to kind of get old and decrepit. <laughs> and you know it, in certain parts of the country it's it's you know it's waning in popularity and Showtime is like it but even more brilliant in color. It is like fluorescent. I, I, you know when crab apples were at the, the bottom of the market where people just were like not asking for them, that is when my dad brought that one out and it is where every grower we were like just go over to this place and go look at it just trust us. And they went over and they were like, we have to have that. That is just phenomenal because it's got a nice red cast to the leaves as well. Yeah. And and then a nice orange fall coloring and, and nice uh, uh, red fruit. And so when you bring out a crab apple when the market is at its lowest and it succeeds, that's
0: aces right there. You know, I, I wanted to, to point out to our listeners that um, crab apples are an important plant. From a habitat standpoint, for birds, number one, but two, for people. But from a visual interest, uh, even for designers, the stems are fabulous as cut branches for designing. And the other thing is to have somebody like your dad who had the, the eye, the keen eye of a master artist. And I like to say they're master artists because what they do is find something that nobody else has actually seen or might have passed by because they know the plants so well, they can pick it out out of a thousand plants and make it into uh, a great seller. He was amazing. I mean, you know, he
2: always said everyone has a God-given talent and, you know, his was the ability to find plants, to to keep his eyes open. I mean, I'm telling you, I remember with the crab apples, it would be these rows of seed beds and there'd be 10,000 in a bed and they're like, you know, mm-hmm three inches high. And he could go, Oh, that's the one right there. Look, that's different. Or this one always killed me. Yeah. I called my dad, like he was like the bionic man, you know, he had like two triple bypasses, glasses, diabetic, had hearing aids, had cancer. But here's the deal. We could be driving 75 miles an hour down the highway and he would go, look at that over there. We got to turn around and stop and go snip a piece off of that. And I, I mean, I was on the highway jumping fences to go get a piece of a branch of a tree that he spotted that looked different, you know? So so I've been very blessed and lucky because I had someone that up until his passing, you know, loved to talk plants and trees and was passionate about it. And then and, and, and people love taking his calls. They knew it was not going to be a five minute phone call, but probably a 50 minute. But he was willing to share his info.
1: Oh, that's great. What was his name, Maria? His
2: name was Jim Zampini.
1: So. Well, I might as well ask you, how did four generations of Zampini's uh, set up in Northeastern Ohio? And here's my first tree nerd question. Is there any connection to Johnny Appleseed passing through uh, Northeast Ohio? Do you come across any remnant Johnny yeah. Appleseed?
2: So, a couple things. So, I actually had a, a great grandparents that immigrated from Italy and from Hungary, and they ended up coming to Lake County, Ohio, which at one point in time was known as the nursery capital of the world and it was the home of Stores and Harrison Nursery, which was the largest nursery in the world. Uh, Dad used to say they were so large that they had their own post office. Mm -hmm. And my dad was one of the last remaining workers at this place. And this is where like a lot of the roses were grown. We had huge rose industry here he learned he learned from the best like you know he learned from Mel Wyatt Mel introduced Queen Elizabeth rose and um so he grew up working in the fields cuz you know the guys were out to war right and so you had little kids so he would get home and and he would go out to the fields and the guys would be budding the roses and he would be behind them doing the winding on the roses and his sandwich would sit on um, he called it a mopeen, you know, like a towel, and he would take a bite, pull his towel, do some more winding, pull his towel, and take a bite off of his sandwich. So, um, and he was, let me tell you, one of his secrets was he, he was just determined. He and my grandfather started out on a quarter of an acre growing roses. My grandfather found the secret to propagation of multiflora rose as the understock and, and for, it, for it to be clean. And then my dad took the company and just grew it. And, you know, at one point it was a thousand acres. And, you know, we said we had research and development. We had the garden center. We used to own a propagation nursery over in Pennsylvania. He had a landscape division. You know, he, cut, he did it all he he really did but when he used to walk to school he would walk through the fields of stores in harrison and he would get to the markers on the ends of the rows which actually at that time were wood and my uncle great uncle louis worked for stores in harrison and he did calligraphy and he would write the names on the wood stakes and my dad could never pronounce any of the names so when he, he made a vow, he was like, if I ever introduce a tree or a plant, I'm going to give it a name that not only can everyone pronounce, but that it creates a vision in their head. So the very first tree he ever patented was a crab apple, obviously, and it was Malus weeping candied apple. Now I don't have to, t- other you know, I give you that name and you already know it's red fruit and it's hanging. And you, and that's what, he, that's what he did, lollipop, big round ball, get it, you know? Yeah, so, and, and here in Northeast Ohio, when the glaciers receded, we had a bunch of different soil types that were left. Um, you could grow a wide variety of crops on, on a very small portion of land. At the same time, we're right on the lake, and so you had this protection of the extra snow. You, your springs didn't break quite as quick. You maybe had an extra 10 days to two weeks because you, know, you were harvesting product out of the ground. It wasn't done at that point in time uh, with, uh, you know, in containers. So there are a lot of benefits to, to being here in the Northeast corner of Ohio. Yeah, dad was just, he was a visionary. He, he worked for Fisher Foods. He was a produce man. So when it came time and he wanted to do a garden center, which we, he only opened it to get rid of excess nursery stock. That's the only reason he did it. It ended up, oh my God, we had gourmet food. We had we had um, an in-house chef on the weekend. You know, we had fresh produce. We had the bird seed. We had, you name it, we had it. But he his secret was, dad was a great marketer. For a long time his catalog was known as the Bible in the industry and students used it as a textbook. We would have we would have schools all over the country call us for this and landscape architects had it open on their desks. But but from Fisher Foods, what Dad learned was he knew how to do cross merchandising before that was like a word. We did agritourism before that was that was ever a thing to do. So he could think like a woman in his displays. He knew, like I said, we had the in-house chef. We would we would find a product, we'd make it and have all the ingredients lined up. Just come in, taste it. Oh my God, yep, you can do this too. Here we go. Everything was That's right great. there. You know, so it's all the stuff we take for granted now. He could.
1: Yeah. So uh, obviously you're passionate about crab apples.
2: Mm-hmm. And what zone are you? In Northeastern Ohio, oh, five-ish.
1: Okay, so here in in uh, Metro Philly, the Delaware Valley, we are having a lot of problems with uh, early defoliation. That you know, the heat and humidity uh, pushing July, August into September, a lot of crab apples are defoliated, and and traditional fruit-bearing apples. Mm-hmm. Um, do you happen to know how you do you have a sense of how your selections will perform with uh, against apple scab and brown spot and uh, rust and things like that?
2: Yeah, again, you know, I had mentioned that the couple crab apples that I mentioned that are in the proven winners um, collection. As I said, they're ones that have been on market for a little bit. And so they're tried and true. You know, right. no, I'm never going to. I'm never going to say nothing's ever going to get sick because as I said before, plants are like people. And, and, you know, I've, we've had experiences. Uh, we had, dad had a beautiful crab apple many, many years ago. I mean, it was, it had this pumpkin orange fruit that was so beautiful, you know, and he had, he had looked at it and trialed it for over 10 years before he introduced it. The moment he introduced it, we found out that it like got apple scab really bad. And, and so my point is, is it's just like a person, you know, you could have cancer and you, you, know, you don't even know it, you know, and you can go years. So but but my point is with these, you know, with Showtime, with Lollipop, those have been around. Those have been tested across the country. And overall, they have a really high rating. I guess what I always tell people is, though especially when it comes to crab apples, you need to go to look to your extension and look to your, your university staff. You know, a lot of times in their trial gardens or at the botanical gardens, mm-hmm. because I know that there are trees that like Clems or, or some of the really old, old ones that we would never think of growing here in Ohio because they're going to do exactly what you said. But if you get out, in the mountain range they don't have some of those same issues they're more dry and so forth and so they do perfectly fine fine there and they continue to sell them and don't necessarily you know do all of the newer varieties so yeah. it's, it's it's regional and you really need to um you know uh utilize that source that's what those people are there for is to, yeah. to help give us recommendations but yeah i can tell you those those are two that that have scored very high across the board across the geographic us
0: and so those kind of trees actually need to have good air circulation so if you're going to be using them make sure that you're not putting them into a a corner somewhere where they're not going to get that not going to get the airflow that they need Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes homeowners don't think about that. I mean, it could be the difference between six feet and eight feet that a tree will do really well and it won't do really well because there might be something blocking the airflow. I've seen that happen many times, uh, even in arborita, where you have a building and a a reflective heat surface where it will actually affect uh, the tree that's growing there and and not allow it to, to do well. You're right. You know, you mentioned my book, Gardenpedia,
2: and, you know, Pam and I tried to give a lot of definitions. We would say, here's what this is, but then we would try and break it down in regular speak, not plant geek speak. And, you know, it just, what your point you're making reminds me that, again, plants are like people. You know, if you're picking a spot for your tree and you're going to dig a hole and everything, You have to not only think about it today, what's it going to look like down the road? Because, you know, I say, look, would you take your, you know, seven-year-old kid and try and put them in a baby shoe? It's not going to happen, you know? (laughs) And as much as I'd like to slip into a pair of size six jeans, it ain't happening today (laughs) or tomorrow.
0: you know, right. so I mean, you got to think about it from, from, from that perspective. And I think that's a good point because people think of trees as things and they're not. They're living beings. Right. And they function and act and react and respond to what's around them. And many people don't think about that. And that response is directly related to what is around them and what may, they may not be getting that could cause a, a, a circumstance that might not be desirable. I think too often
2: we are not just plant geeks, we tend to be plant snobs. And it's like, oh, you Guilty. didn't know that? You know, and you, ca- it can't be that way. I mean, I'm sorry, I have killed more trees. I have killed more houseplants than I can shake a stick at. And it is not the end of the world. I look at it no different than like, Okay, I go buy lipstick. I'm sorry, I can go in my bathroom now. And there's probably 20 lipstick tubes in there, and none of them work. And I haven't thrown them away. And it's okay if if your plants are kind of the same way. Oh, it, that's true. And and I also look at it. You know, when you're when you're building your garden, like I said, your your landscape. I still believe you know trees are kind of the foundation. Yeah, you know, I know they're a little bit bigger, but even your shrubs and stuff. You know, it's. If something doesn't look right in one place or doesn't work right, you pick it up and you can try and stick it someplace else too. It's your doggone yard. You do it the way you want to do it, the way it looks. If it makes you happy the way it looks, heck with everybody else. We do want them to plant sensibly, like you said, to give the tree, you know, the the space that it needs, but you know what if someone wants to stick something orange next to something red god bless them I wouldn't do
0: it but analogous colors and it works great right, right. you know so yeah. well this is exciting because um, knowing that there's a whole new line of smaller trees coming out that actually helps our planet trillion trees podcast because that's what we we really want to encourage is people not only saving old forests and and older trees and, and you know, be kind to older trees, but also to tr- plant new ones and try new things because that's actually gonna create a whole new landscape. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be enjoyable. You're gonna have, uh, as you were mentioning, three and four seasons of interest, which mm-hmm. critical, especially now it's during COVID, it's actually been exciting for people to go out into their gardens to see plants that have three and four s- seasons of interest. Especially when we started in March and now we're still in COVID yeah. down. Yeah, and you know, one of the sayings my dad
2: used it towards the end of his life was, life is a shade better under a tree. You know, he, he lived in his later years in this little fishing village where I now live. And he was trying to get them to plant more trees. And I'll never forget the, the politician he was meeting with. He met them on purpose in the park. And it was happened to be a really hot day. And the guy goes, oh, I'm so hot. Let's go sit on this bench over here under this tree. My dad didn't have to do too much talking about planting more trees because the guy had made the point for him.
1: That's great. You
2: know, but yeah.
1: Do you live near uh, Lake Erie? When you I'm say looking fishing at it village? right
2: now, right out my window. I am Whoa. literally, I'm literally, there's a marina. Uh, I live at a condo now and there's a the lake. I'm looking at the lighthouse.
1: So you call it a fishing village. Does that mean that mean there was some commercial fishing there at some point?
2: Yeah, it's a little town. um, We're east of Cleveland, right on Lake Erie. It's called Fairport Harbor. And it had a very large Finnish and Hungarian um, uh, population. And there still is, um, there's a port here and there are big ships coming in and out. And so I'm not just a, a plant nerd, I'm a big ship nerd now. I pull out my binoculars, but I have my little app, Marine Traffic, to see to see who's coming into port and when, and if I can, you know, meet them down on the lake and take pictures.
0: We're just about getting out of time here, and we, we haven't asked our favorite question from all Oh, that's right. Past. Yeah.
1: It drives everybody and, crazy, but we have to do it, right? We have Even? to do
0: it, and we need to know, um, do you have a favorite tree or trees?
1: Not including malice.
2: Not including now, right. Uh, so I, I do have two. I mean, I did, I did mention Malus weeping candied apple. That holds a special um, spot in my heart just because that was the first plant my dad ever patented. And I gotta tell you, you can take that tree. One of the things he did was he created an arbor with it around our entrance. And you can also take it and espalier it against a building. You can espalier it against a fence. And a lot of people don't know that you can be very creative that way. But my favorite plant is Snow Fountain's Weeping Cherry. And the reason is, is Wayside Gardens used to be located here in Lake County before they moved down south. And my dad knew them very well. And that was an introduction that they gave to him. And the reason I like snow fountains weeping cherry, I know most people probably have them in their yard or have them in their neighborhood. Just think, what's the flowering cherry that someone did a bowl cut with, right? But that tree, you can do more things with that tree than you can imagine. You know, usually it is top grafted on something for that umbrella-like effect. If it is budded at the bottom and then they take and, you know, train it up It then has the branches all coming down the sides of the trunk and it's very, um, you know, gives it a very different look. If you top graft it like on cerula, you now have exfoliating bark. If you grow it from a cutting, you can use that as a ground cover. You can actually cascade the branches just over a wall. I mean, again, it can be a spallier. My dad did a beautiful spallier with it against a building. So I, I look at that and I go, it is the most versatile tree that I know. How many trees can you use like 10 different ways in the landscape? Not many, if any, other than this one. And again, it gives you the white, you know, the white flowers in the spring. The bees love it, just like they love crab apples. Um, you know, and you get, um, depending on the, it's got a nice color bark to it. And then it's got a great orange, red, Fall color to it, you know, yellow, orange, red, depending on the season and how moist the soil is, and so forth. So, that's my favorite, just because, man, you could you can do whatever you,
0: you know, whatever you want with it. It's almost limitless. That is very exciting, and and you brought us some really great tips. Looking forward to the trees coming out uh, this spring. And um, Maria, thank you so much for being on our our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I I really appreciate it. And
2: um, yeah, go trees.
1: Go trees. I love it. Thanks, Maria.
2: Thank you.